We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's a content czar over at Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. It's Kyle Madsen. Kyle, what's going on, buddy? Not a lot, man. Trying to stay cool. It's been hot. It's been really hot, at least up in Sacramento. I don't know about down your way, but up in Sacramento, it's been like the kind of hot that it feels like someone's like weighing your skin down while you're walking outside. It's the worst. That sounds terrible. No, it's been a lot nicer in San Jose this week than last week. It, I mean, it's been beautiful, actually. And uh, I'm, I'm coming off a weekend where I spent a few days in Sonoma celebrating a wedding of my good friend, Stephanie Schmidt. So, Steph, shout out to you. I don't know if she listens to the pod. She might actually be a Ra- She is a Raiders fan. I know that for a fact. But is she a real friend if she doesn't listen? I think she's on her honeymoon, so we'll have to see. Mm. If she if she dials up the old pod on the honeymoon, I'd be I'd be really impressed, but I'd also be a little bit worried for their nuptials. But um, we are officially in the slowest portion of the offseason. The Niners are on break. I think Richard Sherman is in Cannes, France. Is that how you pronounce it? Probably it's, not. It's a very fancy. It's a very fancy place. Cannes. Is it Cannes? Dude, I have no idea, but. This is great content. I'm not the guy to ask. Okay, so the Niners are away from the facility. Uh, so really, there's not going to be a whole lot happening between now and the start of training camp at, at the end of July. At least that's how the 49ers would like it. Typically, if there is any news coming down the pike at this point in the season, it's bad news, i.e. somebody getting arrested or in legal trouble or something like that. So what we're going to do, I, I think the one really interesting storyline heading into training camp is the contract statuses of Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel. Obviously, the 49ers first two draft picks in the first and second rounds. They're both reps by CAA, who uh, in the past 
have been pretty stingy when it comes to the use of offset language in their contracts. So what is offset language, do you ask? Uh, It is essentially something that allows players who get cut before their contract is over, their initial contract is over, it allows them to double up on the cash that that they can earn with a new team. So teams want offset language because if they were to cut a player, that would remove the guarantees from that contract and it would not count against them or a certain portion of the salary wouldn't count against them for salary cap purposes. Obviously, players don't want that because players want to be able to make as much money as possible. And when you're an agent uh, who's making, you know, 4% of, of the player's salary or whatever it is, you obviously want that money too. So the reason why this is important with Nick Bose and Debo Samuel is because they're both players who have extensive injury histories, right? Mm-hmm. So if Bosa say something catastrophic happened to Bosa or multiple catastrophic things happen to him and he doesn't survive more than a couple years with the 49ers and he were to sign with the new team, if there was no offset language in his contract, then Bosa would be able to still retain the guaranteed money that he got in his first deal with the 49ers, as well as whatever money he gets with his new team. And so obviously Bosa is coming off a, a core injury that cost him pretty much all but three games of his, his last college season. He suffered a partially torn ACL that ended his high school career back in 2015. Debo Samuel has had a history of hamstring injuries going back to college. He also fractured his ankle. I think it was his junior year at South Carolina, but neither player really participated in much of the offseason program because Bosa strained a hamstring and Samuel over these last few weeks has suffered a minor hip injury. Neither of those injuries are expected to be serious, but if there is a snag in offset language going into training camp, then it's going to be something that we're going to have to talk about at length because we're going to be talking about them missing time in training camp and holding out. Right. So you remember Solomon Thomas in 2017, he signed his deal just before the first start sorry, the start of the first training camp practice. So we actually ran onto the field a little bit late while all his teammates were stretching because it took them, uh, they went down to the wire in terms of uh, signing that contract. And and Solomon Thomas is also repped by CAA. Well, and, and just to provide another example of something similar to that, I used to be with, with Titans Wire and when they drafted Corey Davis in 2017, he is a, also a CAA client. He, I believe, signed his like halfway through the first day of training camp. Right. So that's that's not uh, it, it wouldn't be a huge shock to see something like that happen with these two. Right. And and Joey Bosa with the Chargers basically sat out the first month squabbling with the Chargers over over the offset language in his contract. So it is a big deal. I talked to somebody at the owners meetings who is very familiar with the Niners handling of, of contracts and things like that. And they said, yeah, offset language is a, bi- is a big deal. And you look at really, I, I think a prominent example we can point to recently to where it, it hurt a team is the Jaguars and Blake Bortles. So because of the structure of Blake Bortles contract, after the Jaguars released him, they were still on the hook for six and a half million dollars. And the Jags are, are pretty cash strapped and they had to do a lot of financial maneuvering this offseason to make things work and get back underneath the salary cap and having to pay Blake Bortles a six and a half million because it wasn't matched by the Rams 
is a significant thing for a salary cap strapped team. The Niners are not strapped. They have some something in the in the neighborhood of 35 million in cap space right now. So it's not a huge deal. But ultimately, in, in terms of things to watch before training camp, obviously, the Niners need to get these dudes signed as soon as possible because they've missed so many practices during the offseason program with minor injuries. The last thing you'd want is to slow down the start of their pro careers by by missing training camp. So we'll have to see how all that shakes out. Again, I don't, I don't think ultimately this is going to be a big deal because I expect Nick Bosa to be a good player for a long time with the 49ers. It would be totally the worst case scenario if this offset language stuff actually mattered in, in terms of you know a few years down the line and if the 49ers did have to move on from Bosa because of whatever reason. Uh, same with Samuel. So I, I'm expecting Samuel to, to also be a good player in Kyle Shanahan's offense, an important one at that, which is why getting him to practice is is paramount, I guess, when it comes to late July. Yeah, it just feels like, and this might just be totally anecdotal and I don't have any evidence behind it, but it feels like players who miss time in training camp always struggle to get started. Corey Davis with the Titans hurt his hamstring really early on in training camp that year. Solomon Thomas obviously has had a slow start to his career. Uh, It would just be nice to see both Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa get full camps in because I think they're going to need it with the entire Niners front seven kind of changing the way they play. It'd be nice to have Bosa in there getting those reps. And then with Samuel, like he's not necessarily guaranteed a starting job and getting that rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo, getting that timing down and ensuring that he is fully up to speed on all the different things that they're going to ask him to do, I think is going to be super important. Yeah, with Samuel, so much of of the offense is predicated on knowing all of your responsibilities and and having chemistry with the quarterback and seeing what the quarterback sees in terms of pre-snap alignment from the defense, which ultimately changes your route or what happens post-snap. And all of that stuff is is what's worked on practice, which is extremely important. And if you're not out there practicing and you're not even in the building to do all the classroom work because you're holding out because of your contract stuff, then that's a pretty big deal. It's not that, you know, not having a contract keeps them off the field. It's it's It keeps them out of the building completely. So it's not like they're still watching film and talking to their coaches and things like that. They're like completely out of the picture. So yeah, the Niners want to get their top two draft picks signed. And that's really the only pressing thing we have to talk about aside from looking at the roster bubble. So why don't we transition to that? All right. We've got to watch... Four practices during the offseason program, so we have a we have a decent idea of, of who's on the roster bubble at each position. So we're just going to go through each one kind of quickly, um, without going too into the weeds into you know undrafted free agents and you know guys very low on the depth chart who would need like four injuries to happen for them to make the fifty three man roster. We're gonna we're gonna look at right about the cut line for each position and and who's battling for those spots and and what they're facing. Uh, at the start of training camp and, and until final cuts are made at the end of August and early September. So I think the first one we have to start with, obviously, is at quarterback. And you have Nick Mullins and, and CJ Beathard, who both basically split snaps during the 11 on 11 portions of practices. And I and I will say that the Niners really didn't do a whole lot of 11 on 11 stuff, largely because of injuries, but also because they wanted to get Jimmy Garoppolo as many reps as possible. And because of his knee injury, and he's coming back from that, they really prioritize the seven-on-seven work. So they did a lot of that, and Garoppolo looked sharp. So it's not that 
you know, like Garoppolo still probably got more work than any other quarterback. It was just that Mullins and Beathard were the only ones getting work in full 11 on 11 drills. So right. for now, we have we really have no idea where things stand in Kyle Shanahan's mind, whether he's committed to keeping three quarterbacks, whether he's leaning one way or the other regarding Mullins or Beathard. He said that the competition isn't going to start until training camp. Um, in the practices that the reporters got to watch, and like I said, we got to watch roughly a third of them, I thought Beathard was better. His arm was stronger. I think he was more decisive in his reads. I think he was a little bit less rattled than Mullins might have been in, in the face of pressure. And again, it's spring practice, so we really should only take this with a grain of salt. But I thought Beathard looked better in the practices that we got to watch. And you can see the physical gifts or the physical skills that made Beathard a draft pick, you could see how there was a significant difference uh, from Mullins, who is obviously an undrafted player. And I think it'll be interesting to see, because there might not be a roster bubble at quarterback. They may decide to keep all three of them, but it seems equally realistic that they trade or cut one of those two. And right now, I think Beathard has, has the edge, just kind of based on what you said, based on, things Kyle Shanahan has said. I'm less interested in who's two and who's three and more interested on if they're keeping two or three. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And and the thing is, is you have, you know, the third year of this regime, you've had an extra draft class and another free agent class. So this is the deepest roster that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have put together. And, and they're going to have harder decisions than they've had in the past because they've brought in so many players now that they're further down the the road in their reconstruction process with this roster. So uh, you have a deep receiving core, potentially. You have a lot of running backs. You have a lot of offensive linemen. You have a lot of defensive linemen. So if you keep three quarterbacks, you're going to cost yourself a player at another position. And that's something that the 49ers are going to have to think long and hard about because ultimately, how valuable is a third quarterback going to be on the roster? Because in an ideal world, obviously, you have Jimmy Garoppolo for 16 games and you don't, never ha- even have to think about having a third quarterback. The problem is the 49ers have used three starting quarterbacks in each of the last two seasons. And some of that was just weird circumstance and where they were in constructing the roster and the fact that Brian Hoyer lost a starting job to C.J. Beathard. And then you make the Jimmy Garoppolo trade and then Garoppolo obviously becomes a starter. And then the next year, Garoppolo gets hurt. And then Beathard gets hurt, which leads to Mullins getting some starts at the end of last season. So in an ideal world, you you have one quarterback who plays games and starts all 16. And if that happens, then obviously you don't need three. So how are you going to balance that decision with having depth elsewhere at maybe at maybe another position where you need it, like running back, where the 49ers have also been killed by injuries the last couple of years? So let's look at that. Uh, I think we all assume Tevin Coleman, Matt Breed, and Jarek McKinnon are going to make it. I think Raheem Mostert is a valuable player on the on the margins of the roster, given what he can do on special teams and and how well he played during the middle of last season. It's October, November, he really started to take off in terms of the way he fit in the system and and running those outside zone runs and utilizing his speed and things like that. We saw a lot of good stuff from Mostert. But again, do they need four halfbacks? Because Kyle Shanahan has kept three during during the bulk of his first two seasons. And like like we just said, are you going to need a position spot elsewhere? So I look at Raheem Mostert and, and even Jeff Wilson Jr. a little bit. What are these guys going to have to do during the preseason to to elevate themselves to make this a tough decision on Kyle Shanahan? Or 
is Jarek McKinnon going to start the season on an injury list because he's coming off the ACL tear? And is that going to bleed into the season? And, and maybe does he open on Pup and miss the first six games and then come back midway through the year, allowing Mostert to Jeff Wilson Jr. to make the team? So I think Mostert is going to need to show out. And, and we didn't see much from him during the offseason program because he was working back from, from a fractured arm. But I think he's squarely on the bubble right now just because we don't know how the numbers are going to shake out. Yeah, and I think if it comes down to let's say let's say these first two positions are if they're deciding to keep three quarterbacks and three running backs or two quarterbacks and four running backs, I think Mostert's contribution special teams wise, I know you can always find gunners, but I think he's so good at that spot and showed that he can contribute in the offense if called upon. I think that is going to help him quite a bit. And this is another one of those decisions where when you bring up whether they're keeping two or three quarterbacks, I think running back is going to be one of the first positions they look at on if they can trim one of those one of those guys. Yeah, and the same thing can be said about receiver where Kyle Shanahan has kept six coming out of final cuts these last two years. So you, you expect Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, and Jalen Hurd to, to make the team. So those are five guys. So then you have Kendrick Bourne, Jordan Matthews, and Richie James Jr. battling it out on the bubble three guys essentially fighting for one spot when it comes to practice I think Jordan Matthews has clearly been the best player Kendrick Bourne obviously this is his third season in the system he led the team in receiving last year he's been solid for them but he doesn't play special teams and Matthews doesn't either which is where Richie James might throw his hat into the ring in in terms of competing for a spot because you remember he had that kickoff return touchdown against the Seahawks that was so enormous in that game in December. So I I think if I were to to predict right now, I think it would be Jordan Matthews just based on what we've seen and the fact that he brings sort of a a veteran presence and a unique skill set to that group. And I think he's been a hair better than Kendrick Bourne in the practices that we've seen. And and again, we've, we've only seen a third of the practices, so we don't know what goes on and the other two thirds, but it sounds like the coaches are high on Matthews. Obviously they need to be better in the red zone and and that's potentially where Matthews could help them. But that's going to be the back end of that receiving core is going to be really interesting to follow. And maybe it changes if, if there's injuries elsewhere, because we know Trent Taylor's coming off a back injury that really hampered him all throughout last season. Marquise Goodwin has had durability issues throughout his entire career. So we don't know exactly what it's going to look like right now, but between Bourne Matthews and Richie James, I think, we're due for for a pretty interesting competition come training camp. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I think that'll be one of the more interesting ones to follow because at receiver, I think there are probably, what, three locks? It's Dante Pettis and the two draft picks, Jalen Hurd and Debo Samuel. Would you agree with that? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be really surprised if Marquise Goodwin wasn't right. didn't make it. Um, but yeah, I guess I could see why... You wouldn't consider him a lock. So I guess the, my my point is, is that that receiver position is pretty wide open. Oh, definitely. And there, there, are, there are going to be four or five very capable guys battling for two or three roster spots. And, and I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because it's going to be one of the first times under this regime that they're going to have a roster battle. And John Lynch has uh, alluded to this, this during the offseason, but... It's going to be the first time they've had a roster battle where they're going to have to probably cut a good player. Right. Which is a good spot to be in, but it's it's definitely new in the in the Kyle Shanahan era. 
Right. I th- I think the the battle for playing time is wide open, but I think I think there are four guys who have a roster spot pretty much nailed down. And then maybe you throw, you know, Pettis, Samuel, Taylor, and Hurd are are going to make the team, barring something catastrophic happening. And then you have Goodwin, Bourne, Matthews, and Richie James battling to fill it out. And and nobody is really established among that group, which makes it interesting. I think there there's a big vacuum for for playing time, but I I do think those four spots are are pretty much nailed down uh, at tight ends. You have George Kittle, obviously. Garrett Selleck, who just turned 31 last month. He has not practiced because of back surgery, and it's going to be another couple months, Kyle Shanahan said last week, before Selleck's cleared for action, which means he might not be back until the middle of August. And I just don't think that bodes very well for his chances at making the roster, particularly with the team drafting Caden Smith in the sixth round from Stanford, uh, signing Levine Toilolo, who played for Kyle Shanahan with with the Falcons, and then Ross Dwelly, who has actually played pretty well in training camp and has, has gotten a lot of reps. I think he's, he's well-liked in that room, too. And then you have Tyree Mayfield, who's one of the more athletic guys among that group. And he's pretty versatile, and he might also be the, the top backup to Kyle Juszczyk at fullback. Uh, and he's also been used predominantly on special teams as well. So Mayfield could have an outside shot at, at impacting this position. I think ultimately... What the most interesting thing is with the with the tight ends here about aside from Selleck's sort of uncertain status is whether or not uh, Jalen Hurd allows them to keep two tight ends. Like, uh, is Hurd going to be well versed enough at both yeah. F receiver in the slot and X receiver to the point where Kyle Shanahan feels comfortable using him in that H back role, that sort of move tight end role that that he's talked a, a little bit about since drafting him. Because having that versatility and, you know, if you want to keep three quarterbacks, say, as an example, or you want to keep seven receivers, uh, you might have to just have two tight ends. And then if Jalen Hurd can do a little bit of both, then maybe that gives your roster that added flexibility. But I think ultimately, I mean, Kittle's going to make it. Caden Smith's going to make it. And then I think it's going to come down to Selleck and Toy Lolo for, for that other spot barring injuries. I, I think in regards to Hurd, I'm wondering if that's a development we'll see next year. Yeah, I can't, I'm I'm with you on that. Dante Pettis, I think on on Matt Mayoko's podcast, talked about how lost he was his rookie season, just because the offense is so much to take in. Mm-hmm. And I think expecting Jalen Hurd in year one to not only perfect a position that he just started playing two years ago to perfect it at the NFL level in an extremely complicated offense to the point that he can go then take on tight end responsibilities to the extent that they don't need to keep a third one. That would be insane. Like that's, that that would be, be that would be a lot for, for that to happen. I could for sure see it next year when he has kind of a full off season to take everything in. But this year I, I have a hard time believing that goes down. Yeah. He is a guy who's played a lot of different positions in the past, and maybe he's a quick study. Uh, we'll have to see because we haven't really seen him practice yet since since the beginning of May in rookie minicamp. Um, at offensive tackle, you have Joe Staley Mike, and Mike McGlinchey, obviously. Uh, Sean Coleman and Justin School seem to, seem to be battling for the backup swing tackle job. Uh, the 49ers kept nine offensive linemen for most of the last two seasons. I think they also had 10 at, at certain points. Uh, if they went that route again it wouldn't surprise me if both Coleman and school make it just to give yourself a little bit of added versatility. And then you have Josh Garnett and Ben Garland 
and Eric Magnuson and Wesley Johnson as backup interior guys. And we've seen Garnett get a lot of reps with the starters. Ben Garland has been uh, working with the first team at center while Weston Richburg has recovered from his knee surgery. So that's a pretty pretty competitive battle between those two guys. I, I think Person and Lincoln Tomlinson are going to be the starting guards. I would be shocked if that weren't the case, barring injury, obviously. Right. Uh, Garnett is interesting because we really he just hasn't been healthy enough for us for us to get a read on how he fits with Kyle Shanahan's offense. And and I'm sort of leaning towards the idea that this is going to be it for Garnett. And um, you know, bringing in Ben Garland, who has. Another guy who's familiar with Kyle Shanahan's offense after playing under him previously in Atlanta. I just think it's going to be tough for Garnett because Garnett doesn't have that added flexibility of playing center. And we don't know really how well he fits and he just hasn't been durable enough. And so the 49ers might feel more comfortable with Garland in a reserve role because he can also play center because your primary backup center is starting at right guard. Um, and I, I don't think that's an ideal scenario for them. So I think they would like to have an interior guy who could also play that center spot. Yeah, especially with last year, they got, I don't want to say they got lucky, but they had so many offensive linemen playing through injuries. And it felt like that was such a such a house of cards where one player going out was going to really, really hurt them. And so I think they want to maximize their depth for sure. So as versatile as a player can get, Plus, like you said, we don't really know what Joshua Garnett offers, which isn't great for a guy going into year four. So I think he needs to, he either needs to dominate to the point that they consider starting him or or show that he is a, a really, really valuable backup if, if he's going to make the roster because just having, as you alluded to, just having a backup right guard is not enough. Yeah, I think for him to make the team, he needs to win a starting job. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a reasonable take. So let's go to defense now. Uh, you have Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, both missed time, uh, both missed basically the entire offseason program recovering from knee surgery. We don't know when Alexander is going to be cleared. The 49ers are hopeful it's going to be for training camp. Um, you have Dre Greenlaw. You have David Mayo. Elijah Lee really worked as the Mike linebacker with the starters throughout the offseason program. The 49ers were, I mean, linebacker was one of their most decimated spots because of Alexander and Warner being out, but they're banking on those guys coming back healthy. So then you have Lee Mayo and Malcolm Smith, I think, really battling on the bubble and also Mark and Zacha battling on the bubble as, as outside linebackers. And and that'll be interesting to see how, how that's going to work. And my understanding is that Greenlaw is actually expected to play a lot this year. I think the 49ers are going into it with the mindset that they've really liked what they've seen from him so far. And, and I think that showed on the practice field, just given the fact that he's basically got all of his reps with the first team, even though there were injuries to those guys. So I look at Malcolm Smith and wonder if this is the time that the 49ers finally decide to move on because he just really can't stay healthy. And there are even portions of practice where where he left the field and you can see that ankle Achilles area, that lower leg that that really bothered him throughout last year is still not completely healed. And maybe it does over these next five weeks. But just where he's at in his career and the fact that you have Dre Greenlaw, um, you have David Mayo, who you like on special teams, and you have Elijah Lee, who's a much younger player. I just I think Malcolm Smith is facing a scenario where he's on the wrong side of the numbers game. And I think the 49ers are probably okay with that, given the fact that they could save some some coin and, and salary cap dollars. And Dre Greenlaw is a guy that you've talked about quite a bit as somebody who might contribute in a significant way in his rookie year, too. Right. 
No question. I'm just looking at Malcolm Smith's contract. So yeah, it felt like it felt like when they when they restructured it, which is I think what you're going to talk about here. When they restructured it, it felt like oh okay, he's sticking around for another year. But with the talent that they have at that position and the athleticism they have, and and the changes they've made, it, it feels like he's kind of getting pushed out. Yeah. So there's. For whatever reason, the 49ers guaranteed a pretty significant portion of his um, of his contract for 2019 in that restructure. So there's going to be if they cut him, there's going to be four point two million in dead money, which isn't a ton, but it's notable. And there's only going to be about one point three three million in in cap savings, which isn't ideal. Uh, So, I mean. I don't think it's going to prevent the 49ers from cutting him, but that, that's not an ideal contract to, to still have on the books heading into training camp just because you'd love for, for there to be less dead money because dead money actually counts against the salary cap. And uh, if you're not going to have a guy, you obviously don't want him counting against you that way. So that'll be interesting to see, but uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards Malcolm Smith being on the wrong side of that competition. Defensive end, you have Nick Bosa, D Ford, Ronald Blair, uh, Jamel Garcia-Williams who I don't really think has a chance at making it. I, I know Eric Armstead is also going to play a lot of end and Solomon Thomas will as well. I think those are probably your four defensive ends that you're going to have predominantly. Uh, maybe Contavious Street, uh, Julian Taylor. I, I don't see a scenario where both Julian Taylor and Contavious Street make the team, so that could be an interesting battle on on the margins. Overall, the defensive line is, in terms of the, the inside-outside guys, you have a lot of them, so you have some versatility well, I think Bosa and Ford are going to play predominantly out wide in, in those wide nine techniques. But I, I look at when, when I look at this battle, I think I, you know, with Taylor and Street, I think those are the two guys that are going to be battling the most because I think otherwise it's pretty clear cut with Bosa, Ford, Blair, Buckner, Armstead, Thomas, DJ Jones and Sheldon Day. Um, I don't know if you need a whole lot more than that barring injury at this point. Yeah, and that's just for what it's worth, kind of diverting away from the conversation a little bit. That's a really good defensive front, I think. Like just it in terms be. of, of depth and versatility. Yeah, absolutely. They're going into the season w- being fully committed to the defensive line being the strength of their team. So if it's not good, then they have serious issues. Yeah, and it feels like this is really the first time going into a year where you can point to that position and say, these are the players who are going to make a difference and contribute. Right. It's not crossing fingers and, and hoping from, from the coaching staff. Right. So with uh, at corner, you have Richard Sherman, uh, Akella Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, who I think are all pretty safe bets. Uh, Jason Verrett is just a big wild card. I think if he's healthy and, and in peak form, I think he makes the team because he's their second best corner. Maybe even, I mean, I don't want to say he would be better than Sherman, but I just think given the fact that he's younger and and he might be fresher just because he hasn't played a whole lot. I know he is coming off the Achilles injury, so it's hard to call somebody like that fresh. But um, in terms of just overall bumps and bruises, he hasn't been running around hitting people the last couple of years because he's been hurt. Uh, but I, I think Verrett has a lot of upside. I have no idea if he's going to be healthy enough to make the team. So I think he's pretty uncertain. Tim Harris, a six round pick from Virginia. Haven't seen him practice at all. We don't know why he didn't practice during the spring. Uh, Greg Mabin, who we saw get torched in Green Bay, uh, is a guy the 49ers like as a reserve and on special teams. But I, I think he's squarely on the roster bubble for sure. Uh, same with Dante Johnson, a guy who floated around after the 49ers decided to not bring him back after 
not a very good 2017 season uh, when he was overtaken by Akella Witherspoon. So it's hard to the, the cornerback group is, is sort of like receiver in the sense that there are a lot of bodies there, but there aren't a ton of established guys who you feel t- super comfortable about in terms of pegging them to start. I mean, I, sure, we there's going to be a competition, a pretty significant competition between Witherspoon and Verrett to start next to Sherman. I think for now you got to give the edge to Witherspoon because by all accounts, he looks pretty good during the offseason program, albeit without pads. And obviously with Witherspoon, the question is how he adjusts to the physicality of the game when the pads come on. Um, That's been the question about him basically throughout his career. So he's good when when there are no pads and there's no hitting uh, and he can just utilize his length and, and be a pest in terms of, you know, contesting throws and things like that. But uh, we'll have to see. I think Harris, Mabin, Johnson, and, and Verrett are all going to be battling on the back end of that spot because regardless of whether Witherspoon was a starting job, I think he's, I mean, he's going to be on the roster. It, it'll just be interesting to see how, how the bottom portion of that depth chart shakes out. I have a Jason Verrett question for you. Go for it. If I tell you he's healthy for 16 games, mm-hmm. do you think he starts all 16 of those? Like, do you think he's for sure the second best corner on the roster or possibly best corner on the roster. If he's healthy and playing like he was pre-injury, which is obviously a huge if. Sure. Uh, yeah, I do. I think he's better than Witherspoon. Peak Jason Verrett has been better than peak Akella Witherspoon. Yeah. During their brief time in the NFL. But but it's just impossible to have any confidence with Verrett just given his his laundry list of injuries. So that's, I guess, where the discussion point was, because Jason Verrett was a pro bowler when he played 14 games in 2015. Like exactly him, him being better than Witherspoon at their peak is, isn't much of a question to me. I guess the discussion point is more how how well can he recover from an ACL tear and an Achilles injury the next year? Right. Because he's a person right. that's that's more what I'm I'm wondering. He's not a big guy, so he relies a lot on his explosive explosion, explosiveness out of his breaks. Yep. And that's the way he covers ground. And so you look at what he was coming out as a first round pick. I mean, he, he ran four three eight and he had a four he had a thirty nine inch vertical jump, a hundred and twenty eight inch broad jump, a six point six nine three cone drill, and a four second twenty yard shuttle. All of those times were in the 84th percentile or above. So when he was healthy, he was an extremely good athlete. Correct. Yeah. Um, obviously, when you come off an ACL tear and an Achilles tear, you wonder if that athleticism is going to stick around. We just simply haven't seen it. And it's basically impossible to expect somebody to maintain that level of athleticism coming off those injuries. But again, it's happened. And the fact it you know, guys have come back and, and played well from those injuries and the fact that he really hasn't played significant time for, for a while means the rest of his body, the non-injured portions of his body, could be fresh and, and could you know resemble the, the same type of athleticism he had pre-injury. So I just don't know. We have no idea. But the 49ers are banking on him contributing and overcoming those injuries because if they didn't, I think they, they might have invested more heavily in the secondary in terms of draft capital or, or you know, even elsewhere in free agency. Yep. So at safety, you have Jimmy Ward, Jaquaski Tart, Adrian Colbert, DJ Reed, who is also missed the offseason program after having offseason shoulder surgery, and Tavarius Moore. And I have it on pretty good authority that 
you know, from somebody who watched the entirety of the offseason program and all the cutups and practices and things like that, that Tervarius Moore was actually a, a very pleasant surprise to the 49ers coaching staff in terms of the way he played safety after transitioning from cornerback. And that is something that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on throughout the early portion of training camp because we don't know how healthy Jimmy Ward's going to be. He fractured his collarbone. Uh, when was it? And was it in June? And and the Niners said it was uh, an eight to twelve week injury, I believe, which means he could return basically at any point throughout August. They're optimistic that he could return for the start of camp in early August, uh, but you just never know with with Jimmy Ward, obviously, because he's fractured so many bones throughout his career. Yeah. So, can I get hot takey with you for a second? I would love, dude. If all you did was jump on this podcast and spit fire takes, it would be preferable. Uh, May 23rd, by the way, was May, when Jimmy Ward. Okay, May 23rd, so late May. So yeah, that, I mean, the Niners are going to be optimistic that he's going to return in time for the start of camp. But um, my hot take is Tavarius Moore is going to start games at safety in 2019. Over or under five and a half? <sighs> Screw it. We're, we're being hot takey. Let's say over just because. Oh, I love it, man. Just because we don't really know what to expect from any of these other guys because this is this is quite a development too because if this is your first time listening to the podcast or if you've never listened when we've discussed Tavarius more before chris your initial take was this is a temporary move and he'll go back to corner when jimmy ward gets healthy so this is a this is a strong departure from that for you yeah and i'm normally not a hot take person and i think i've actually that's what you think i I get kind of (laughs) like i get some feedback to where like I don't really commit to an idea and I try to be as nuanced and, and be like all sides as possible. Whereas other people might prefer that I just make predictions and stand by them and, and fight for my opinion. Um, I'm not passionate enough about my opinions to really operate that way because I think it's kind of a waste of energy to be honest. Perfect. (laughs) Which, which is just, which makes me just the most non-exciting sports media person that could possibly exist. But uh, no, I think Tavarius Moore has a really good chance at, at making an ascension up the depth chart. And you remember, this is a third round pick. This isn't like this is this is a seventh round guy like Adrian Colbert was to make like a rapid descent to the starting lineup. I think Moore is a very high quality prospect coming out of Southern Miss. And just given the way things are shaking out in the secondary, I think there's going to be a vacuum uh, for him to potentially assume a starting role at some point. Because you remember, too. Colbert's coming off the injury. Ward's coming off the injury. But Jaquaski Tarts also missed half his games over the last two seasons. Sure, yeah. And and DJ Reed's coming off a shoulder injury. So and DJ Reed might be better in nickel corner. Yeah, and DJ Reed might end up uh, competing with Kwan Williams for that nickel corner spot. Exactly. So there's a scenario that's very plausible for Moore to make a leap from the third team where he's been throughout the offseason program to a starting role at some point during the year, particularly if some of these injury injured guys deal with more injuries or don't come back like the 49ers are hoping for. So uh, in terms of the roster bubble, I, I think, you know, barring injury, all these guys are locks with the exception of maybe Anton Exum and Marcel Harris. And that's not to say that Marcel Harris didn't play really well at the end of last season, but if you have Traverius Moore at safety and if the numbers, you know, if you keep three quarterbacks or if you keep four halfbacks, or you feel like you need to have a seventh receiver or a fourth tight end or whatever, you might look at safety as a spot where the 49ers trim trim a player to to create room. And yeah. if that's the case, then then you look at Marcel Harris or or Anton Exum and say that 
they might be competing for roster spot on the bubble. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, that's, that's the, the interesting thing about team building and why training camp is so important is because every, what happens at every position affects the entire roster. And it might not even matter what's happening to a certain player within his own competition among his his uh, position. It's that you simply need numbers elsewhere and you have to cut that person because you, you need that roster spot. So, I mean, that's one of the fun things about training camp. Obviously not fun for the player who's getting who's, who might be on the wrong side of that. But yeah, team building is is incredibly nuanced, really interesting. Uh, and, and it's really so dependent on what happens during training camp. And I've said it before on, on a previous pod that I think the first two weeks of training camp ultimately are the most important when it comes to evaluating your players. It's not preseason games. And I know preseason games are what fans get to watch and and largely what they base their opinion off of. But I think the coaching staff really values what happens during the week in those training camp practices. Yep. Because ultimately, you want to keep as many of your players who are going to make the 53-man roster, you want to keep them healthy uh, and out of harm's way. So the preseason might be a time where you allow guys who really have no shot at making the team to to go out and take those reps. And and those are the players you're going to risk at injury. And, and that's why it's always funny to me every year, too. You have like an undrafted rookie who really has no shot at making the team, but he plays really well in a couple fourth quarters in some preseason games. And then fans are like clamoring for that guy to make the team like it's somehow going to matter. Right. Marcus Rush, the pass rusher. Marcus Rush. Uh, undrafted rookie from Michigan State was was the guy who was a lot of Corey fans. Sheets. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fans thought those guys were going to solve the 49ers issues at those respective positions. And then ultimately they didn't make the team. They got cut and were never really heard from again. Um, that's sort of how this thing goes. I, I just think training camp is so much more important than the preseason. Uh, and I'm not saying that to drive traffic to the Sacramento Bees website or to Niners Wire for practice recap stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm being earnest when I, when I say that. But also the traffic thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, read it for sure. <laughs> read our practice recaps because we're going to have all this stuff delineated for you. But yeah, that's it. That's the roster bubble. One thing I wanted to get back to, we, we jumped off quarterbacks and, and I wanted to make a point real quick before we get out of here. I think, in, and this is not a Kyle Madsen original thought, but something that's worth, I think, paying attention to a little bit is the Broncos quarterback situation. Oh, yeah. In regards to the 49ers quarterback situation, because they have Joe Flacco there uh, for one more year. Then they have Kevin Hogan, Drew Locke, and Brett Rippon are their other three quarterbacks. And well, if you know those who guys, their offensive coordinator is, Kyle. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Former 49ers quarterbacks coach Rich Scangarello. Correct. And if those three guys behind Flacco or even Flacco himself really struggle in camp, it wouldn't be a surprise to see the Broncos make a move for one of the 49ers, two backups. And the 49ers are going to have joint practices with the Broncos before I believe it's the second preseason game. So Broncos coaches will have an up close look at uh, at the 49ers backup quarterbacks. So worth paying attention to. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And we're only two months away from that. So you're basically going to like wake that's up, going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be here. It's like 60 more days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With that, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Thank you guys for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire podcast network. Uh, we will talk to you guys probably next week and then i'm going to be on vacation in the east coast for a couple weeks to start july oh hell yeah so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out our i'm recording solo pods our hot takes all day (laughs) 
You know who's gonna be the difference maker? <laughs> Raheem Mostert. Should have re-signed Aaron Lynch. Five reasons why. <laughs> it's all gonna happen. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com